Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. Really quickly, before we get into this episode, I wanted to mention my Patreon. Patrons get all of the podcasts a week early. I do giveaways. I do some other stuff. But most importantly, if you want me to review your music or artwork or anything else, Patreon is the way to do that. Every month, I do a call for submissions. All you need to do if you want me to review something is just post it in the comments of that post. Then I will review it live on Twitch for the hundreds of people that tune into every stream and post it on Patreon for everyone to check out. All you need to do is just join at the $10 and up level. Stay tuned for that post and you are good to go. So if that sounds cool to you and you want me to review your music, artwork, or anything else, hit the link in the show notes for this episode. And thank you very much to everyone who supports over on Patreon. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA, and today we are back with another edition of Viewer Comments. This is where I take your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to blatantly steal a phrase from Colin's last stand. Before I get into it, I wanted to just mention, first of all, thank you to everybody who watches and comments. I still read literally every single one of my comments. People tell me I shouldn't, but like, I feel like, what is the point of doing this if you don't actually interact with your audience? I know some people do the post and ghost thing, but I read every single one of them, positive or negative. So thank you to everybody who leaves one. First up, Tiki Nikki asks, do you spend a lot of time looking up things like new popular bands or check the trending page for music? Or do you just look up a band after someone mentions them? I feel like trying to keep up with what's happening within the many, many genres of rock and pop and underground music would be a full-time job, even for someone like a music journalist. The way that I find music, a lot of people ask me this, is pretty simple. Like I look on YouTube, I look on Spotify, like Release Radar and Discover Weekly playlists. Those tend to show me a lot of stuff that I like. I also look at Loudwire and Alternative Press and Metal Injection. I look at, you know, Nick Nocturnal. I've got maybe, I don't know, half a dozen places that I look for new music and I'm pretty much never, you know, never have a hard time finding new stuff to listen to. It is definitely time consuming though. Like even for me, and this is my quote unquote job. And I can't imagine like for a normal person, how do you keep track of all of these things? But next from Thy Art is Mortar. What are your thoughts on 10, 15, 25 year anniversary tours and performing albums in the entirety, is it cool or is it just another type of selling nostalgia? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, obviously it's nostalgia, right? I mean, like, I think it's sort of like inherent in the concept of doing this tour where you play an album like front to back, like it's obviously a nostalgia play, right? But I mean, those tours always sell very well and people seem to have a good time at them. So, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing that it's nostalgic necessarily. For me personally, 
personally, I don't have a lot of interest in that because, you know, I've been to plenty of those and there's just no way that somebody who's like 35 or 40 years old or whatever can play the songs the same way that they did when they were 20 or 25 years old. Like you're just literally a different person. That's not to say that they're bad necessarily. To me, it's like any song is like a product of a time and a place. And for me, it's not really that interesting to hear a bunch of 40 year olds play a song that they wrote when they were 20. So from Anthony SWM Gillette, I guess I'm just curious why you feel melodic death metal is all bad. The brutality can be completely intact with bands like the Black Dahlia Murder while still having more melodic or technical exchanges between the musicians other than at the gates. Are there bands you personally find as an exception to the idea that mellow death is just a weaker death metal? Well, I've never said that melodic death metal is bad. I said that I don't like it. And these are two separate things. I mean, this is one of the core ideas of my channel is that opinions and facts are two separate things. There's lots of stuff that I don't necessarily like, but I can recognize objectively is good or important. And melodic death metal would be one of those things. For me personally, I'm an extremist. I want something to be either, you know, super heavy or super pop. I want to listen to either Lady Gaga or Cerebral Incubation. I don't want stuff that's like in the middle. That's just me personally. Like I would never choose to listen to melodic death metal because if I want to listen to death metal, I want to listen to death metal. If I want to listen to something melodic, I'm going to listen to pop or country or whatever it is. So that's sort of my take on melodic death metal. But I can certainly recognize that melodic death metal as a genre had a ton of great bands. I mean, if you would consider stuff like Dismember and whatnot, and I guess Unleashed and whatnot to be sort of early melodic death metal, I think that stuff is pretty cool. Um, when you start to get into like At The Gates and In Flames and Dark Tranquility and all that kind of stuff, again, I would certainly, certainly say that those bands are really important, very influential and great at what they do. Next, from Justin Weirn. We are officially halfway through 2022. That is true. And it's horrifying, isn't it? Time flies, my friends. Death is lurking over your shoulder, getting one step closer every day. I try not to think about it. It gives me anxiety. Anyway, what's your favorite albums of 2022 and which ones are you still looking forward to? Most recently, Demi Lovato's album, Holy Fuck, I thought was awesome. I did a review of that on my second channel. I think that's probably one of the best pop punk albums that I've heard in very, very long time. I'm a huge fan of hers and that album is great. Also, Varials, a metalcore band from Pennsylvania. Uh, I guess they have a new vocalist and their new stuff is fucking awesome. I love it. I'm also loving the new Amorosa stuff. They've put out, I think, two singles this year where they went just like full pop R&B. They started out as like a kind of progressive post-hardcore kind of band, sort of kind of like What Was Me or Chiodos or something like that. They went full R&B pop with this stuff and I think it's awesome. I can't wait to hear the album. Another one is a hardcore band called Ingrown from Idaho. If you're into like nails and that kind of thing, you'd probably like them. I also really liked the song Bad Day that Bring Me the Horizon did with Seagrid. Easily my favorite thing that Bring Me the Horizon has done in the past like five years. Really, really good song. Great lyrics, great vocal melodies, great message. Love it. And also one more thing that has come out this year, I think the album's coming out pretty soon, is the new Suicide Silence stuff. This is the best stuff they've done in a decade. Like they feel like they have found the fire again. I'm loving it. Super excited to see them back in action. From Colleen Glanville, I have a question. What is your favorite movie and why? This might surprise slash disappoint a lot of you because a lot of people, I guess, expect me to be into horror and that sort of thing because there's a lot of people that watch my videos that are into that stuff. I'm really not into horror. Actually, my 
my favorite genre of movies is romantic comedies. And my number one favorite movie of all time is Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And the reason why is because it is A, hilarious, but most importantly, it has a great message. It's directed by Judd Apatow and all his movies I think are kind of variations on the same idea, which is essentially like a message to men, especially men like myself and a lot of other people that probably watch my videos who need to hear his message of like, hey, stop being like a selfish dick. Grow up, be a man. Stop being like a 14-year-old stuck in the body of a 32-year-old. Grow up, put your big boy pants on, be a man. Next up, Kai Rivas asks, do you think hyperpop has potential to be a long-lasting popular genre or do you feel it will just completely die off in a few years? So if you're not familiar with what hyperpop is, it's people like Charlie XCX and Dorian Electra and 100 Gex who do this sort of hyper distorted, glitchy over the top version of like late 90s, early 2000s pop, I guess you could say. I made a video about it maybe a year and a half ago or something like that, saying that I thought it was an interesting kind of new development in music. And honestly, I feel like even at the time that I made that video, I feel like I was pretty late to the game. And since then, the genre has definitely not grown. It's not gonna like disappear, but I think with any movement like this, what you need for it to sort of become the quote unquote, the next big thing is two things. You need number one, a great like breakout hit song. And number two, you need a great breakout star attached to that song. For example, back in you know the mid 2000s, you had like Hawthorne Heights, Panic at the Disco, Fall Out Boy, Paramore, all those kind of bands that had just undeniably great songs with front men and women who were just undeniably giant stars. You had the same thing with emo rap, with Juice World, Lil Peep, and XXX Tentacion, who unfortunately all three died, which I think is why emo rap as a genre kind of fell off because the three biggest stars in the genre all unfortunately passed away before they were able to really reach their full potential. So with Hyperpop, it seems like Charlie XCX was the biggest star in that genre. She seems to have kind of walked away from that. She did it for a year or two and it's cool, but she's so talented that she's the type of person that is not going to stick with any one thing forever. So I think unless some other star comes along to basically be able to fill her shoes and be the breakout representative of the genre, I kind of don't think it's going to go anywhere. Unfortunately, I think it's really cool. Next, from Heavy Chevy 1904. Have you ever considered doing interviews with musicians or artists? You seem to have a lot of connections in the music business. You could be the punk metal hardcore Adam 22. Not only have I considered that, I have been doing them for a very long time. I have done a podcast now, which I think I'm up to 105 episodes of it, with people such as Johnny Craig from Amorosa, Dance Gavin Dance, Slaves, all that stuff, Dino from Fear Factory, Shane Smith, the comedian with the face tattoos you've probably seen, also a hardcore guy, Caleb from Beartooth, Franz from Attila, Sonny from P.O.D. Got one with Chris from Suicide Silence that will probably be out by the time you see this. I love doing it. And if you want to check it out, it is on my second channel. I put one out pretty much every week. And there's a link to that in the description of this video. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. 
Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And by the way, since I'm in promotion mode, I also have this new shirt, my listen to new metal shirt. And there's a link to that in the description of this video. If you want to pick one up and pretend like your friend Cody just came over to play Smackdown Raw on N64 and drink Mountain Dew, and you want to just cover your ears and convince yourself that it's still 2001, pick one of these guys up at the link in the description of the video, and it can still be 2001 in your mind. Now I know y'all be loving this right here. Next up, Connor Peppermint asks, I've been watching your videos for about three years now, and I just wanted to say thank you. Your insider knowledge helped me give a vocabulary to better describe my music taste and allowed me to branch out even further outside of my comfort zone. Thank you for everything you bring to music discourse on YouTube. Well, first of all, Connor, I appreciate that very much, and thank you for watching. First of all, I would say I don't think I have any sort of special insider knowledge. I think there's actually a lot of people who watch this channel that probably know more about a lot of the artists that I talk about than I do. So I don't think I have any sort of special like secret knowledge or that my opinions are better than anyone else's or anything like that. I just make videos saying what I think. And if people think that's helpful, you know, that's awesome to hear. But what I will say I'm especially grateful for is that you said I helped you break outside of your comfort zone because that's another thing that really is like a central theme of this channel is it's very easy for us to sort of get stuck in a rut of being like, oh, I only like this kind of music in this genre made by people who look like this. And to just like go 
down this road the rest of your life, which I find very disappointing and also very ironic considering the whole point of alternative music, or at least one of the big points of alternative music is to think for yourself and be different and refuse to let yourself conform to somebody else's expectation of who you should be and what you should do, right? So it's very ironic to me that in spite of that, so many people do become these very like blinkered conformist thinkers who really unfortunately shut themselves off to a whole lot of great music by refusing to listen to anything outside of their comfort zone. So it makes me happy that you were not one of those people and I appreciate the support. Next up from Michael John Martin, would you consider doing one of your ultra roasts on your main channel? Meaning the way you do your Twitch highlight videos and let loose, I would love to read the comments. All right, so what he's referring to, if you're not familiar, I also stream on Twitch twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays for a couple hours and I post the highlights of my Twitch streams to my second channel. There's a link to that in the description of this video if you wanna check them out. And I've sort of experimented with formats a little bit. And the way that I think about it is the main difference between this channel, the Punk Rock NBA, and my second channel, which is just called Finn McKenty, is that Punk Rock NBA is not about me and my opinions. What I have found is that when I put my opinions out there and when I try to make jokes and do like humorous kind of content, people on this channel generally don't like it. The comments get super negative and just like, clearly that's not what people want. People are not here for me. They're here for the subject that I talk about. Meaning that if I make a video about Lincoln Park, people don't want my opinion on Lincoln Park. They want me to just tell them the facts about Lincoln Park. And that is what I have decided to stick to on the main channel. On the second channel, it's much more because it's called Finn McKenty. So it is literally, it's just my name. And on there, I'm a lot more free with my opinions. I make a lot more jokes. It's more the vibe of just like hanging out with your friends after a show, bullshitting at three in the morning at Denny's. So if that sounds cool to you, check out the second channel. If not, that's okay too. Next from Paco Taco 669, you should do a guitar tier list. The world must know, Finn. Well, that's a very, very easy list for me to make because I started playing guitar in 1989, which was the very, very end of like the first era of shred guitar when people like Steve Vai and Joe Satriani and Michelangelo were kind of blowing up and redefining what guitar meant. Hi, I'm Michelangelo from the band Nitro, and this is lesson one of Metal Method's Speed Kills. What I'm gonna show you in this video today is how to master the art of playing lightning fast. That is when I fell in love with guitar. And even though I cannot play like that, those are still the guitars that I love. So, you know, Jackson, Ibanez, Charvel, BC Rich, anything from that era that's preferably in some sort of an obnoxious color, like bright green, bright yellow, bright pink. Actually, I'll show you guys my guitar right here. This is what I have. This is a 20th anniversary Ibanez. I've got it. some of these strings muted here because I was recording with it. Any guitar like this, you know, ideally the edges should be so sharp that you feel like you're going to cut yourself if you touch them the wrong way. You know, the headstock, you got to be careful because you're going to put someone's eye out with it. Anything like a Les Paul or a Telecaster or anything like that that you could uh, imagine somebody playing tasteful boomer bends on, not for me. Great guitars, I respect them, but it's not for me. I need a shred machine. Next, from David Hutchinson. Any thoughts on the Aussie punk rock, Amel and the Sniffers, the Chats and Clowns? They're starting to get some good crowds and views in America and the UK. All right, a lot of people ask me about this and uh, to make a long story short, I think that all those bands are good, but for me, it's nothing that I haven't heard many, 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 many times before. It sounds like something that, you know, would have come out on Honest Dawn's records or something like that in like 1994, which is not a bad thing. I think those bands all do it well, but for me, I've already heard it so many times that it's not that interesting, but you know, if you enjoy it, and the bands are having fun, that's what matters, not what I think. Next, from Rivers Suchik. 
I hope I said that right. What are your thoughts on 21 Pilots and what genre would you call them? Emo, indie, rap, alt rock? I don't really know what I would call them. I guess maybe alternative rock, uh, but it is kind of interesting. I feel like they're one of these bands. I remember when they came out, I lived in Columbus at the time, and I remember when they were just a local band that were on the cover of Substream Magazine and maybe like 2011 or something. And then a couple years later, they just were fucking huge, like giant mainstream, you know, selling out arenas and whatnot. Just went from nothing to massive super quickly. And I sort of felt like they were going to be the next My Chemical Romance, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco type of band to kind of take alternative music and blow it up in the mainstream. And they kind of sort of did, but I feel like they, I don't want to say fell off because they're obviously still super successful, but I feel like they had a wave and I feel like that wave is no longer what it was a few years ago. And that might be just because like, I don't follow them that closely. I don't know, but they seem like really cool guys. Next, from Chio Trip, which genre slash eras of rock has the best and worst fashion trends and styles in your opinion, i.e. punk, glam, emo, indie, alternative, metal, new metal, etc.? Well, that is very easy. Obviously, the answer is butt rock, because if you watched my Twitch streams, you know that I am obsessed with butt rock fashion. The fashion, the drip. That's the best part of butt rock. If you're not into butt rock drip, I just don't even know what to say to you. The sole patches, or as I like to call them, landing strips, the wrist accessories. Like you see these guys with like three or four like of those leather wrist cuffs that guys who go to Nam still wear. Chunky rings, chain wallets, the bedazzled boot cut affliction jeans, an American fighter shirt, and maybe like a faux hawk. All I am asking, if there is a God in heaven, I get down on my knees and I ask you every night. Please bring the 2004 butt rock look back. That is all I'm asking. Next from Iggy81. Is there a song or genre of music you think of as a guilty pleasure for yourself? The answer to that is no, because the idea of having a guilty pleasure really doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you ever feel guilty for liking something? I think all of this is rooted in what to me is maybe the most unfortunate part of alternative music, which is that people make consuming music into their identity, right? Like if I listen to this genre of music, that means I can't listen to that genre of music. Or if I listen to this artist, I can't listen to this and this and this artist, which is all silly. There is nothing wrong with liking anything. Time to talk about why country, in particular pop country, is in my opinion, the best genre of music. Next up from Josh Wanless or Wanless, I don't know. What's your general thoughts on bands taking the butt rock route and venturing away from their earlier sounds? Do you think it's a cop out or intelligent in terms of marketing? Personally, I don't have an issue with that stuff as long as it still sounds good to me, but I see a lot of people dunking on those artists. There's a ton of examples of this, but maybe like the number one example would be Parkway Drive, especially like their newest album. You know, the early stuff, if you're not familiar, is like very like solid, super aggressive, early 2000s metalcore in the vein of, you know, Kill Switch and stuff like that. And more recently, what they've done sounds much more like sort of, you know, I guess I'll say butt rock, but I don't like to say that about Parkway because I think they're a good band and I think they seem like really cool guys. So I don't mean to put them down. I'm swimming deep into the rise. My personal opinion is that when a band goes butt rock, I'm probably not going to listen to them anymore. On the other hand, it is undeniable that most of the time when bands do that, they do become more successful. Not always. Sometimes that's their downfall. It's the beginning of a big slide, but more often than not, that actually is when the band becomes more commercially successful. So clearly there are people out there who like it. Chris Matthews asks, what causes or contributes to bands being covertly popular? I like this phrase. For example, Bullet For My Valentine is a huge metal band 
content, but they don't seem to come up in community conversations. This is a great point. I think it's super interesting because there's bands that are the opposite of that, which is take a band like Protest the Hero. Uh, if you talk about them uh, on the internet, you would think that they're the most popular band in the world, you know, like on Reddit and Facebook and wherever else people talk about this stuff. Everybody just absolutely worships this band. Sleep Token is another one of those. Loathe is another one of those bands. If you just relied solely on what people say on the internet, you'd think these bands were huge, but in reality, they're not that big. And that's not putting those bands down or anything. That's just the facts. If you look up the numbers in terms of like streams and ticket sales and stuff, these are not huge bands. And then Bullet For My Valentine is the opposite of that. Maybe another example of that might be like Machine Head. You never hear people talking about either of those bands online, and yet they are actually super popular. So, but either way, I think it's really interesting to see the difference between like internet hype and how popular a band actually is and how those can oftentimes be two very different things. Next from Meow the Rainbow. How much of your musical diet is made up of stuff you cover on your main channel, such as old alternative rock or trap metal, as opposed to pop rap or Walmart country? But just to name a couple of the artists I've been listening to lately, one is a pop artist named Ava Max. You might know her song Sweet But Psycho. She has a new song called Maybe You're the Problem, which I love. Another artist I like a lot is named MXM Tune. I think she started out as like a YouTuber or something. I'm not sure, but she does like kind of cool Gen Z alternative pop stuff. Also a big fan of Thomas Rhett on the country side of things. Blanco Brown is another country artist I like a lot. So, I mean, I literally listen to everything. I listen to everything from like opera to like death metal to rap to like jazz, like literally everything. There is nothing that I don't listen to. From Struggle Andy, honest thoughts on K-pop. My honest thoughts on K-pop are that I don't think most of the music is great, but what I do think is interesting is how K-pop has become sort of the, I don't know, it's like the new emo. If you are a 14 year old girl with colored hair, who's a little weird and artsy and and kind of doesn't fit in with the cool kids. If you would have listened to Paramore in 2007, now you are probably listening to, you know, BTS and Blackpink and like, I don't even know who all the cool artists in K-pop are, but that's kind of interesting to me to see because K-pop in Korea is definitely not alternative in any way, but in America, it kind of is. And I'm not sure why. I also think it's interesting that people who listen to K-pop typically don't listen to any American pop, which I don't really understand because, you know, K-pop, it's called pop. There is nothing like edgy or alternative about it at all. In fact, K-pop is even more squeaky clean and like tightly controlled by the labels and management than American pop is. So that's the most interesting thing to me about K-pop is how it has this sort of alternative-ish kind of subculture in America when there's really nothing alternative about it at all. Next, from Sometimes I'm Grumpy, jorts or shants? Well, these are two completely different things. When I think of shants, meaning those long dicky shorts that are so long that they're almost pants. You got to think about your like 48 year old uncle from Huntington Beach that still listens to Pennywise and social distortion every day, wears black fly sunglasses and basically acts like it's still 1993. Whereas with jorts, you know, I think maybe more about like hate breed or lamb of God or machine head kind of maybe like your 48 year old uncle who still thinks it's 2001 at Ozfest. Both of those are fantastic choices for covering your legs. But to me, that's really just apples and oranges, how can you pick one over the other? David J. Losey asks, I remember you mentioning in the past that you had a one-man jokey type band, death metal 
slash grindcore. Can we listen to it? What was the name? Yes, you can listen to it. It is called Impedestalment, and I'm working on a new song, which I've just slowly, slowly, slowly been working on. But yeah, this is from maybe like five or six years ago, something like that, and I am pretty proud of it. I did all of this except for the vocals, including mixing and mastering it. Veggie Baby asks, have you ever noticed a jump in monthly listeners on Spotify after you've recently talked about a band or artist or consider yourself influential enough as a commentator to affect monthly listeners at all? Uh, I've never really looked at that. I don't really think that I'm like influential enough for that. You know, if a hundred thousand people watch one of my videos, maybe at most a couple thousand of them will go check out the artist. I don't really think that's enough to cause a significant jump like it is with Fantano where he gets like millions of people watching his stuff and there's like people who base their musical taste like completely on what he likes. I think actually my audience kind of hates my taste in music. So if anything, me recommending a band might actually hurt their monthly listeners. So my apologies to every band that I've recommended. Josh Calzada asks, you've mentioned Deftones core bands like Loathe, Sleep Token, and Newer Thornhill. How do you feel about this new wave? It's weird for me because I never got into Deftones, but I absolutely love all three of the aforementioned groups. For me personally, it's not that interesting, but I do think it is interesting to notice that it's definitely a wave. Like you said, it's a thing, you know, really in the past, what, five or six years, maybe Deftones have become one of these bands that so many people have listed as like their biggest influence. And I think that's kind of interesting. So it's not for me, but it definitely is on my radar. And I think those bands do it well. Like I would say Sleep Token is probably, in my opinion, the one that does it the best. Ooh, let's talk about and last but not least, from Shane Harrington, have you considered starting a new channel that is 100% exactly the content you want to make, normie home improvement life stuff, or dripping that stuff into your regular content for a slow conversion? Well, that's pretty much what my second channel is. Like, I do vlogs. I'm trying to do like one vlog a month, and uh, my wife edits those. Shout out to her. She does a way better job with vlogs than I do. But yeah, we had a vlog of our vacation to Cannon Beach in Oregon that I thought it was pretty fun. And I've been covering more stuff on there that wouldn't really be a fit for this channel. For example, I did a review of the new Demi Lovato album, did a video about like Walmart pop country, did like a tier list of chain restaurants. Have you ever had these fucking biscuits? Holy shit. So I am kind of venturing out a little bit aside from music content on there, if that's something you might want from me. But at the same time, I know that, you know, people watch me to hear about music. They don't watch me to hear about home improvement. So <laughs> I'm not going to try to force that stuff on people. But if you would like, you know, more, I guess, personal content from me. Twitch and my second channel are the place for that. And there's links to both of those in the description of this video. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. 
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaking microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs>